the time when wargamers played with chainmail and the rise of the wizards of the coast, there was an age of gamers. And unto this, Gygax, destined to bear the crown jewel of TSR upon a troubled brow, to show you all how to roll for initiative. Hello, everybody, and welcome to special insert number three of the Roll for Initiative podcast. DM Vincent along here with DM Nick. Hello, everybody. DM Matt. Hi, everyone. And the ever-elusive, showing his face again, DM Crispy. What's up? Where you been, Chris? Uh, playing 4th edition. <clears throat> oh, what? Uh, at work and, uh, you know. <laughs> what is I've... this 4th edition you speak of? Exactly. <laughs> it's like a, it's like a war game that you play. Ah, ah. Okay. Sometimes you role play. Ah, as long, mm. as long as you're having fun, right? Occasionally. Like, if you're it, half of our group, you role play. If you're the other half, you, you don't. <laughs> So what have you been up to, Nick? Uh, let's see. Uh, started uh, the new campaign uh, with the um, basically Castle Greyhawk. Um, and I'm using, uh, if I'm trying to remember correctly, it's the uh, the Mad Archmage, uh, the uh, Castle of the Mad Archmage. Yeah. I'm using that as Castle Greyhawk. And... It's a very I highly recommend it to everybody out there if you have not, you know, seen this uh free PDF. It's thirteen levels, folks. Thirteen levels. And um Excellent. we're doing oh, just first edition AD and D and um we're having a blast. Uh, last last session was uh just a real cool time and um looking forward to the uh, next uh, game which we uh, might do in the next couple of weeks. We normally don't do a game in December. We kind of take a break because of the, you know, the holidays. And but uh, looks like we're going to try to squeeze in a, a game uh, this month. You said this is a free PDF. Yeah, it's a free PDF. Uh, it's called uh, Castle of the Mad Archmage. Hmm. And um, or as Popeye would say, Caskel. Caskel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a Caskel. Yeah, okay, okay. And uh, I'm trying to remember uh, where I uh, I got it from, but uh, it's on. Um, I, I want to say Greyhawk Rognard. Yes, it is. I'll have a link to it up in our show notes. Yeah, Greyhawk Rognard uh, did this, and last I recall, it was earlier this year. Uh, they are, I think, Brave Halfling Publishing is going to produce a hardbound book of this Castle of the Mad Archmage. But okay. it is still available as a free PDF. Highly, highly recommend it to everybody. It's a oh, real good time. That's uh, Joe from Adventures Dark and Deep. He's, that's the creator of that. Oh, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep, yep. You're right. That same guy. Yep. Which we suggest everybody go pick up and read right away. Yes, Absolutely. 
<clears throat> okay, cool. Matt, what have you been doing? Uh, well, my uh, weekly gaming group's been having scheduling issues because of the holidays and whatnot, so really haven't got much gaming in. But I am right now in the process of writing a review of a supplement for that war game Crispy's been playing. Uh, I'm in the process of writing a review for the Heroes of the uh, Feywild uh, book for a fourth edition uh, over at uh, for uh, diehard game fans. So that should be up in a couple days. I just need to finish it up tonight. So I'm like right now on have like six pages written and still have like a couple more sections to go. So, but yeah, it's if it's very much fairy tales in D and D. Yeah, it's yeah, and I won't even go into the whole cosmology differences between the fourth and every other edition. It's quite different and kind of made my head hurt. (laughs) Yes, it's like these simplified things at the same time. I'm like, this is so foreign to me. I understood the complicated. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I got to get my first article up for them, too. I just have been in the process of moving around, so I didn't have a chance to actually review anything yet. Yeah. Yeah, I've been in, all over the place. I've been in Texas, Arkansas, um, Virginia. I think I think I went past Nick's house twice. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, we've had some problems since we've been gone. We've uh, had what's been now known as the Occupy Castle Greyhawk. Apparently, the goblins and kobolds were really, really uh, nasty while you were gone. And, uh, well, we had to turn the wands of fireballs on them. But we got them squared away. So we're good to go. <laughs> I haven't been doing any gaming, but I did go hit up a lot of half-price gaming bookstores in Texas. And uh, I got a lot of good books from, like, old White Wolf, pretty much. All the old vampire, all the old demon and everything like that. All the books I love. So. Hmm. Nice. I think I bought more stuff there than a Gen Con. <laughs> but it was so cheap. Oh, you know, uh, speaking of like half price books and used bookstores, I guess uh, I saw somewhere uh, Crazy Igors or Crazy Igors is is shutting down shop. Really? Huh. Yeah. Huh. I saw that. I think I saw that posted on Dragon's Twitter or somewhere like that. But yeah, I just, yeah, they're closing up. I guess uh, a lot of, uh, you know, especially stores like that they're uh you know because of like the internet you could get things for uh you know you could get them for cheap you know through ebay or something like that i mean it's really putting a hurt on uh you know those specialty kind of stores that (laughs) they really only focus on the uh used and uh out of print uh materials so well with all these companies going to print on demand now like white wolf yeah those companies are going to be were useless pretty soon. Oh yeah, didn't they? Aren't someone else is uh, like drawing down with hero uh, guys who made you know champions? Yeah, the guys who made the hero system. They, yeah, uh, went down to one person. Yeah, wow. that's it. They're one guy. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, the obsolete the out of print book collectors are going to be gone soon. With uh, Wizards of the Coast looking to do this soon. Uh, who was the system that's doing it? Uh, uh, Savage Worlds is doing it now, bringing back their books through print-on-demand. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So these look book collectors are going to be worthless soon. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it just seems like, I would say in the past three to five years, that seems like to be the trend is, is print-on-demand is slowly becoming uh, 
you know, much more popular. And it's and from and I remember watching uh, there was a special on on stuff like that about uh, self publishing. I, I can't remember what news show, but uh, you know, even the big book publishers in New York City are starting to feel the hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on stuff like that. My only concern with these things are is that someone out there is going to get screwed. Yeah. As you go on Amazon or whatever and you say you find a first edition book and it says 10 bucks, you're like, oh, cool. And you get a print on demand book instead of the original book. Right. Yeah. Or you go, for, for example, perfect example is uh, White Wolf's books. One of their Dark Age vampire books is $90 right now, used. Mm-hmm. The print on demand just started coming out. Now, how many people are going to print a five or six copies of that book and go, "Hey, Amazon"? Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Copy for myself. Yeah, and something also with the whole print on demand that's kind of what bothers me is just more for the ho- the health of the hobby in general. Is you start once you no longer have that physical copy in stores, you lose. The ability to bring in new people just where they stumble across it to expand your player base. Because if you're not a gamer, are you going to hop on the internet looking for RPG games to play? Whereas if you were at a game store, maybe looking for a board game, or at a Barnes & Noble or some other more mainstream bookstore... Books you, a million. You're right, books a million. You come across and be like... Border O. Oh, um, half price. Wait a minute. <laughs> but yeah, you lose that sense of discovery where how many players picked up their first D&D book because they came across it at like a Toys R Us. And that was I, their first exposure. Right, right, you you right. lose that, at which point the only people buying the books are those that are, that are already in the bubble and they were going to find it no matter what. So and once those age as people age, they die off. And so does the hobby. <laughs> yeah. See, there goes one right now. It just died off. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. I, I was having this discussion with uh, the guy that manages the comic book shop I go to in the comic book industry. And he was like, as a matter of fact, I think this sport's going to die real soon. Oh, his whole thing was they're <laughs> killing themselves because one with comics, he said there's three types of people that buy. You have your collectors, yeah. you have your people that read, and you have your speculators. Digital destroys your collectors. Digital yeah. destroys your speculators. So you lost two-thirds of your market mm-hmm. by Absolutely. going strictly digital. Yeah. Yeah, comics are going to, in the next five years, I don't think they're going to be gone as far as physical copies. Yeah, it's going to go to a, a digital format. Right. But what, what that does is you... You, again, lose some of that discovery. If people aren't already looking for comic books, they're not going to get into comic books. Right. You're not going to pick up your first issue of some random comic at, like, the local grocery store or at the bookstore or at Walmart or wherever. You're not going to get the new people in. The only people that are ever going to find your product are people that are already using your product. You're not going to get new blood. Yeah, you're only feeding your own fan base. You're right. not expanding, oh, like, fan base or your... your... I mean, with all the advertising and all the movies out, I mean... Well, well... That... Well, on the internet, I see a, an advertisement for a Superman comic every five seconds. 
but on sites that already attract people already reading Superman. How many times are you going to see that in a mainstream site that isn't comic related? Mm. It's you, you're not trying to grow your market. Uh, and he even went into the history of comic books. The worst thing they ever did is if you look at the price of a comic book, compare it to other magazines, um, a comic book's like three, four dollars or a newsstand magazine is like two times the size of it at double the cost. Oh, are you kidding? Some of the some of the comic books are like five ninety nine right now. Those are those are those are like your sixty four pages. Most comic books are thirty two pages. What happened was with comic books, they never grew in size compared to other magazines. All magazines at one point in time were like sixty four pages, and then as other magazines started lowering their price but throwing in more ads and making their books bigger, comic books resisted advertisements at first. Back in the forties. They yeah. were they were more concerned with that ten cent price point. So what they did is they shrunk their content instead to keep their price point. Whereas other magazines more openly embraced advertising. Comic books back in the early days rejected it. At which point, after a while, everyone just came to expect comic books cost this much. It it wasn't until recently that the comic book prices started increasing so rapidly. If you look at the price differences between the 70s and 80s and 90s, it's a slow and subtle. Oh, Only yeah. recently has it been the huge jumps. I've, I've got some old comics from the 90s, back when I still like read comics and collected, yeah. that are about 250 So over the last 10 years or so, they've gone up by about a dollar and a half or so. Right. When you But look at how much magazines have went up in the same time frame. Mm-hmm. A lot more. So if you're a mass marketer, are you going to buy a product that sells maybe 100,000 copies because uh, there's very few comics that sell even that much now? And please, with all the pirating going on with comics, you don't even have to buy comics anymore. Right. You don't. Right. I mean, the best thing they could do is when I first heard about the digital initiative of the comics is open up your back catalog of those expensive issues no one can actually afford to buy. That's what you put online. You access, give access to stuff that player, players or readers do not have access to. Don't give them digital – you don't have to give them digital access to stuff they can actually get. Right, or – and if you do something like that, you have to you know, space it out in time, I guess. Right. It, you know? They caved. Right. It's like yeah. with the uh, – Joe Casada caved finally with DC Publishing. People complaining constantly, well, why can't we have day and print digital? Right. Why do I have to go to the comic book store? Why can't I just open up my iPad and download it? Yeah. Why, why, why? He finally just said, you know what? There. Well, <laughs> Marvel's other problem was they were like direct to trade. Everyone knew every six issues of story arc was going to have a trade paperback. So at that point, why bother collecting them? I'll just wait till the entire thing is yeah, played they... out to see if the story's good. Oh, if the first three issues were good, then issues four through six sucked. Guess what? Before I would have bought the first three issues and stopped buying them, but so they had three issues of sales. If if I'm waiting for the trade, oh, the story sucked. I'm not buying anything. Exactly. So. All right, crispy. Yes, sir. Who's your Who's your icon for on, on Skype? I, I have to ask this. Uh, I believe it's still Michael Bolton. Some from... old guy holding a potion up. Oh, it's uh, Ezrin from Pathfinder. Oh, okay. It's the iconic wizard. 
Gotcha. Okay. Thank you. That was just bothering me. <laughs> As we were trailing off on the show here, the comic book world. All right. Enough of that. Uh, let's head into our first uh, segment of the night of uh, emails and uh, pretty much stage advice. Oh, I'm sorry. We didn't. We actually had some stars to read first, didn't we, Nick? Yeah, that's okay. I got them. Right. No problem. So, we'll yeah, we next. do have... Yeah, let's confuse everybody out there. We do have some stars on iTunes. And just to remind everybody, if you want to, uh, you know, give a review on a show, let us know what you think. You know, head on over to iTunes, type in the search uh, Roll for Initiative, and just follow the links from there. So we got two reviews. Um, One is from Kevin Smith. I don't think it's the Kevin Smith. I saw that on our Twitter. It said Kevin Smith is now following you. I'm like, what? <laughs> is it the Kevin Smith? That would be so cool. It's not. Uh, but um, uh, it's by Kevin Smith. And he says, return to glory. R- return to glory. And with five uh, five stars, he says, an absolutely amazing show. If you've ever picked up or plan on playing first edition or done any old school gaming, you need to watch the watch this show. Well, listen. Everything a great podcast needs, this one has. After picking up the first edition AD&D books at a used bookstore, I unfortunately started my gaming with 3E, mm-hmm. albeit playing a converted version of Scourge of the Slavers and the following modules, and went looking for anything that could help me learn. And this podcast did the trick. Really looking forward to putting to use all the knowledge I have gained from listening to this amazing podcast. Well, thank you, Kevin Smith. Love your movies. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, our next one is from Jedi Lama. And Jedi Lama says, old school AD&D at its finest with five stars. This podcast highlights the best parts of the, of the AD&D many of us grew up playing. The hosts give their unique and individual perspectives on the rules and various topics in most entertaining manner and bring a very personal perspective to the table. The many segments in the show give the hosts a chance to display their vast knowledge of the various aspects of gaming. Never boring. Each episode is fresh and interesting, bringing back the old school goodness of AD&D. No matter what edition of D&D you play, the podcast is for any gamer worth their dice. And he signs it DM Ray. Oh, DM Ray. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So those are our two current reviews. And we are up to 93 reviews or almost at 100. DM Ray actually has a, a post on the uh, private forum area where he was making alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he couldn't play a game, but he was making alcohol. So I'm like, dude, mail it to me. There you go. <laughs> All right, so thank you for your reviews, and anybody if wants to send them in, again, go on to iTunes, and you can find us there. I'll send the sage advice. Master! Master! They're at the gates again! Master! It looks like another band of adventurers! Adventurers? Again? Always the same. Coming to me for Sage Advice. Welcome to Sage Advice. Got a bunch of emails here and a voicemail. Let's start off with the voicemail. Here we go. Hey, guys. This is the Geek Preacher here. I just wanted to call and tell you how much I enjoy the show. 
I've also been listening to a number of your issues, and you often talk about uh, what Gary may have thought about this or that game mechanic, specifically things like psionics or other things like that. I just wanted to recommend that if you have an opportunity, get a copy of the book Cheers, Gary. It is uh, It has collected a number of what he had to say about certain things in first edition from the Ian World threads. It's a really good book. I believe they're going on their second printing pretty soon, but I would suggest checking it out. It would answer a lot of the questions you have about what Gary thought about this or that and the waffling back and forth about one person says this and another person says that. It's it's just really good. It also and also all the proceeds go to help out with the Gygax Memorial Foundation, uh, which is trying to put together a uh, statue for Gary in Lake Geneva, the home of TSR. So just something I wanted you guys to think about. Again, I just wanted to say how much I enjoy the podcast. All you guys, DM Vince, DM Will, thanks a lot. It's just a lot of fun listening to you joke around and laugh. It's like sitting around the table with my friends and just talking about rules and busting each other's chops. And that's what's fun. Thanks. Have a good day and keep on gaming. Cool. Thanks for calling in. I've been I know that guy. Geek preacher. I do. Oh yeah, he he's on the uh Kenzerco forums all the time. He's actually uh he knows I I know him through the forums and I have friends here in my gaming group that, you know, have met him and and game with him. So, uh pretty pretty nice guy. Yeah, I think he actually came over when I was posting on the uh Hackmaster forms for a while. He found the link. Yeah. Started coming over. He's been gone for a while. I was wondering what happened to him. Yeah, he gets busy. Mm. Cool. All right. Well, first email we have. <clears throat> excuse me. It comes from uh, DM Joe. No, not DM DM Joe. Another mm. Joe. I'm thinking about running a Cultures of the Underdark campaign, and I was wondering if there were any AD and D books about that, and if the one that Nick wrote with his friend they talked about in issue 61 ever got published. GM Joe. Good question. <laughs> well, actually, you know, this is a very good question. I was, I was actually thinking about this not too long ago. And um, there, as far as I know, there are no first edition AD&D uh, references to the Underdark. We didn't Dungeoneer Survival Guide, yeah. Dungeon, yeah, Dungeoneer Survival Guide. They had their that section in there, uh, in, in the back, but um, there was no like no, there wasn't a definitive published book that I recall. Everybody kind of took little bits and pieces from like the uh, uh, the you know Vault of the Drow series, and um, eventually when the uh, the uh, Dungeoneer Survival Guide came out, little bits and pieces of that. But um, I'm hoping in the near future that the uh, item that uh, my friend Jeff and I have been working on is going to see the light of day. I'm hoping that we'll get it published, if if not uh, by an actual publisher. You know, I'm hoping like print on demand or something like that. Who knows? But um, I'm going to convert it over to the first edition AD&D and... I'll I will keep you posted on on that progress. I was just thinking about that recently. I think I'm 
you know, there, there is a, there's an opportunity that has come up that yeah. might happen. In so. uh, Dragon Magazine 131, they actually talk about the Underdark. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they have the Folk of the Underworld, uh, and then the Ecology of the Abolith, and then to the center of the O-Earth. Okay. So you might want to look at that. Uh, let's see if there's anything else in Dragon. Now, the only thing I, I would be concerned about is if anybody published anything. I don't. I know there are certain monsters that are, I guess, are they copyrighted by? Well, they are Watson? product identity. Um, yeah. If you pick up a third edition monster manual, it actually has in the OGL, or I think might be the beginning of the book, it'll have which monsters you can't use. Yeah, I know. It's Mind Flayer, Beholder, Displacer Beast, Yankee, Hulk, Githzerai. So if someone was going to do a product, could they they couldn't use those monsters? No, not without the express written consent of Wizards of the Coast. Even under like, the um, the new license, uh, no. it's specific. It, there's specific uh, monsters mechanics that are laid out. If it's not in the under third edition, it was the SRD. If it's not in that document, you can't use it. That's yeah. pretty much the how it's been ruled. Mm. Yeah, I see, a, that's. I have a- Fourth edition screen that just has all the product identity monsters on it hanging out in the Underdark. So, well, what if I didn't like do something that was, you know, for profit? What if it was just a fan created material? Yeah, Nick, I went through all this stuff. You cannot do it no matter what. See, that's the thing. I don't know if I'm going to be able to do mine now. Well, what- yeah, I don't know how Goblinoid Games got away with it, but in the advanced edition companion of Labyrinth Lord, they have uh, something called the Eye Terror, which is it's the beholder. What you do is basically you rename it and re change it. Yeah. So beholder say has whatever how many eyes. You shorten the amount of eyes. You make yeah. have two legs maybe or two arms. Yeah, uh, like it it could still have the same amount of eyes, but if you slap on some legs on it, that's what. Uh, so if I wanted did. to use, because in in, my, in our original. Underdark thing, uh-huh. yeah. Two of the major players of the city in in the Underdark city are mind flayers and beholders. They are key elements in the yeah. in the whole dichotomy of of the uh, of of the of the city. You have play- to name them and redraw the picture of them or re-describe them. Because that's what, what's his name from Knights and Knaves, Steve? That's how he got all his shit taken down. Oh, really? Because the Wizards of the Coast went after him because he had a Beholder and a Mind Flayer and something else up. Huh. Hmm. Okay. Just rename them. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll just call them Eye Tyrants and Illithids. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, th- th- I think the word Illithid is copyrighted. Yeah, it is. Okay. I'm sure you could do some of the weird name for them. You could be like Lilithids. <laughs> yeah. Put them in I, trucker I, hats and flannels and call them Billithids. Go <laughs> Billithids. Woohoo. Gonna eat your brains. Mm-mm. <laughs> Before he ties them up. 
Go on, eat them brains. They're good. Don't fry it up right there. Mm-hmm. Here's and why did they copyright those monsters? I don't understand it. Why? Why them? It's because of things that went on through history. Yeah. They went on through what? Throughout history with TSR and other companies copywriting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also just standard practice to anything you create, you copyright, you may own it. So that way, and you can lay claim to any derivative work. And if anyone tries to make a derivative work you don't like, you can just sue them out of existence. What's up, Mayfair? <laughs> yeah, well. <laughs> oh, why don't you just, you know, if you want to solve your problem, Nick, move to England. Oh, good point. Yeah, just publish it there. Whatever <laughs> you want there. There's, there's no copyright laws there. Yeah. Uh, well, or Canada. the only way you could get around stuff like that is like what happened with uh, Kenzer Cohen Hackmaster if you produce it as a parody. Right. Yeah. And that's parody material there. You have. You have cert, You have a little bit more leeway. I mean, that's why guys like uh, Word Al Yankovic were <laughs> able to get away with so much stuff in the years. Right. You know? Well, it's Weird Al, he also would always go to the artist and ask permission. Yeah. So but even though he didn't have to, he, <clears throat> he would always ask permission just because he wanted to stay good with everyone. Uh, but there has been a few instances where he got permission from one of their underlings, but the actual artist didn't like it. Uh, with Amish Paradise and Coolio, for example, Coolio hated that song. He really? Yeah, there was a big stink. He thought it was like disrespectful or something. But yeah, yeah Coolio did not appreciate Amish Paradise, okay. but his people okayed it. So there you go, Nick. You really can't unless you change those things up. You really can't print them out. Oh, poopy. Even if, <laughs> even if it's a fan base thing, right? Okay. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, if I change the names, I guess it's not such a big deal. You would need to change it's, the names, uh, the description. I mean, yeah, you would basically have to create. You could create a new monster with a similar flavor, but it would have to have quite a few differences to actually be able to pull it off. Wow, well, that that just makes my work a lot more difficult then. <laughs> I think, you, I think you could put it up on a website yeah, and uh, just say, this is my world. This is what I've been using and say, you put, you know, no money is made off of this. I think you can get away with doing that. I've seen tons of those websites. Right. It, mm. it really becomes a matter of do their lawyers find it and do they want it down? I mean, it's for the most part, if you're not getting that much attention, they'll just ignore it. But the way the laws are written it's very much if you don't defend your copyright, it doesn't uh, it, you lose it. So it's use it or uh, use your copyright or lose it. Mm. That's what okay. companies like um, White Wolf and uh, uh, Savage Worlds. I can't think of the name of their company. Something where they have those fan base uh, agreements that says you can use our material for nonprofit on your website. Just slap the sticker on it and direct it back to us. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen tons of material done by people from White Wolf and uh, Savage World. It's just supplement, fan supplement, and they get to print it out. They're not selling it. It's free, but I wish Wizards had that, but they don't. Well, I have to see what um, I can do as far as uh, getting the getting it out there. So, you know, well, we'll we'll I'll keep everybody posted. Certainly. <clears throat> 
And another email comes from, uh, I can't pronounce his name, and he's going to laugh at me yet again, but it's Doc Mindwipe on our forums. He wanted to know if we if, if there was a map of the world of Greyhawk complete. Is there a place you can get that? Oh, yes, there is. Uh, there is a website that you can find uh, the complete map of Greyhawk. I'm looking through my... <laughs> I'm looking through my links right now, and... I know the first Gazetteer that ever came out had a complete map of Greyhawk. Um, if you go to... I got the link right here. I'll put it in... Uh, I'll send the link right here in our yeah. in our notes, and... Uh, I can put it up on the site. Yep. But there is a... You can get a, either pre- or post-Greyhawk Wars. Your choice. So well, that's cool. And uh, here we go. I'll there's my link. Okay. I got sent the mat there, who's our wonderful, uh, our wonderful pro, uh, producer. <laughs> so he, um, actually, Doc Mindway found me from found our show through. Uh, I went through a Yahoo group first edition D and D. I don't know if you ever heard of that group. Mm-hmm. No, um, I, I don't know. No. Yeah, uh, if you go to Yahoo Groups and you type in first edition D&D, you'll get an, uh, an old school D&D group. Oh. It's really cool. A lot of people on there that you might have seen in the past are all hit. Okay. Like all the people that left Dragon's Foot or left Knights of Nave or they're all shrewd out and hidden in there. <laughs> they're all hidden in their own little corner of the internet. <laughs> their own little underdark? Yeah. Okay. I like, what I like it. about it is because you can get delivered right to your mailbox, like the old Yahoo groups, which I used to love. Yeah. And there's no people like complaining and fighting. My sword's bigger than your sword. <laughs> they just, you know, yeah. They just talk and they chat. They ask questions. New people come in. Don't you hate it when they talk about sword size? I hate that. I know I hate that too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so that's that. I think we have one more here. Let me just get to that one. It's from DM Lon. Okay. He said he was listening to Honor Thy Options and caught uh, about the part we were talking about comeliness. Mm-hmm. And he's like, he said the consensus as he heard it was, as Nick put it, more of a dumb stat than charisma. He says, Nick, I disagree with you. Okay. He runs a game that is based on using comeliness as a major stat as well as perception from the Dragon Magazine article. I use it as a base stat. I allow charisma to affect it, and I will randomly, I will allow random events to move the comeliness up and down. My players do not know that this is coming yet. Many of them will soon have to lower their comeliness because of a curse thrown on them by an evil NPC. Okay. I will not use comeliness exactly how it is in the book. I do agree it's silly. He said he uses it basically moving it up and down. That's pretty much how he does it. I guess he decides. So you actually get physically uglier or prettier? Yeah. That's weird. (laughs) Well, if you think about it, people do do that. Have you ever seen a girl and you're like, wow, she's hot. And like the next day you're like, dude, what happened? Yeah, well. Or you see like a guy and like he's always clean cut. And, you know, next day he's just like, dude, what? Did you like not shave or something? That's comeliness, wouldn't it be? I suppose so, yeah. yes. But, the, you know, if that's the way he wants to do it, that's fine. Well, that's fine. I just, 
I'm just not using that particular stat for my game currently because I just don't see a, a need for it. Hmm. Yeah, I don't use Cumulus either. I don't think I've ever used it. Maybe once or twice, but to each. Of I think I've I've said repeatedly that I think it's stupid. <laughs> Crispy. Yeah, I've never used it either. It's yeah. And I got one article here from Aiden, but it is a monster he made up called the Glub. The Glub? Yeah, I'm going to just pull it up here, and I'll just I'll read it real quick what it is. <clears throat> the Glub are a weird plant growth found in the subterranean areas. It looks like a large glob of blue slime. It will always stay in one place as its undersized acts as sort of a glue. This glue will spill out from the glove when it's killed. And a saving throw versus acid must be made doing 1 to 12 hit points of damage if the saving throw is not made. Its only attack will electrify any creature who touches it. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The electric zap can travel through any sort of metal causing 2 to 20 hit points of damage. No, No saving throw. Wow. All right. It's stats. Number of appearing, 1 to 5. Armor class, 8. Movement, 0. Hit dice, 3. I think it's a little low. Well, the, it, the whole point of it is to explode, I think. Yeah. It's it's like, okay, yeah, hit it. Boom! Oh, crap, we're all glued now. <laughs> 100% in layer. No treasure. No attacks. No damage. It's an annoying creature. Magic resistance, 35%. Yeah. Jeez. Ooh, 35% magic resistance? Wow. <laughs> I would maybe raise the hit dice on this creature, though. I would, like, fill a hall of those things. Put a hallway 50 feet long of those things. Or, like, the ceilings, charges. the walls. Heck, yeah. <laughs> well, I'll throw this over to you, Matt, so you can post it with the show notes. Okay. And I just imagine, like, if you're, you're, you have your players coming into, like, that hallway that Nick wants to set up. And then he's got like a boom box and he starts playing that uh song from the Matrix. Nice. <laughs> when they're in the uh the airport terminal. Yeah. The final countdown. <laughs> a bunch of emails in here that I think Matt already fixed and addressed the problem with people not finding older podcasts. Yep. All the issues are now up. So there's elusive <gasps> wow. issues seven through nine you can now download. Yeah, the lost episodes. We had to call them for for a while. They were the lost episodes. Yeah, yes, they were. Cool. Those were the first couple of. Uh, yeah, the first couple that Nick was involved in. Were they? I think his first one was sixteen. Yeah, I I got started late. Did you? I thought you were in like nine or something. No, no. I think, I think Blackstone's first one. Well, nine was my first save or die. Was it? Maybe that's what you're thinking. Yeah. We talked about werewolves. It's a good show. But, um, yeah, I think 16 was, was Nick's, like, first official uh, job as a host. Oh. I also found another thing from Lon in here. He wrote up a, uh, a, rond, a rod of chaotic wonder. He only wrote it up basically, uh, basically some of it. He said to write up the rest later. He said, uh, blah, blah, blah. It's a rod that has been corrupted by a demon lords and is actually chaotic in nature. It uses not only the normal rod of wonder table, but also uses the table of wild magic from second edition. Whoa. 
<laughs> basic idea is on a 1 to 30, on a D100, the rod, roll again on the rod wonder table. Okay. 31 to, whoa, what? 31 to double zero roll on the wild magic table. I say, okay. Then roll a 1D10 minus 1 for the spell level. And then what I have been doing is eyeballing the spell list, rolling a D30 using the wild surge table to amplify any spell chosen. Huh. Well, I need a full write-up on that one. Yeah. 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 It's a little confusing, but it was interesting to hear. And looking through the emails, a couple people wrote it and they got their DM screens. Oh, goody. They said, thank you. No, there will be no more DM screens. I'm not dealing with that person ever again. Oh, really? No, there was like five of the screens that were lopsided. And uh, they were glued wrong. And the guy's like, well, it's only me doing it. It has to be some human error. I'm like, dude, I bought how many screens from you? And you're going to sit there and tell me that? I mean, Nick, you were sitting there making a product by hand. And if you put something on lopsided, wouldn't you start again? Yeah, I would try to do the best I could do, yeah. actually. Yeah. yeah. I made sure to report that guy in the forums. The only one doesn't buy any product from him either. So that's that. We can head into uh, game mechanics next, unless anybody has anything else. No, we're good. Let's head on in the game mechanics. Oh, man. What the heck is that? Understand, you fool. I have a spell that will work here. What do you mean I can't hit with that? Oh, right, fine. Show it to me in the book. Welcome to Game Mechanics. All right, everybody. Uh, this uh, segment of Game Mechanics, we're going to talk about uh, an item out of the uh, Dungeon Master's Guide, Placement of magical items. And this is in the Dungeon Master's Guide, like I said, pages 92 and 93. And I don't know why I, I picked this section earlier. I just thought, okay, this would be a really cool thing to, you know, to talk about. I haven't read this over in a while. As I reread the uh, this uh, area, this, uh, this placement of magical items, I was really blown away at this, how chock full of information this whole uh, it's about a page worth of material here. It's just full of great information for for any DM and any player really. And to kind of give an overview of the whole this whole section is really what happens. We talk about two different extremes in DM style, and talks about the Monty Hall campaigns <laughs> and the Killer Dungeon campaigns. Okay. And the Monty Hall campaigns is everything is practically given away. There's no challenges to the players, uh, to the player characters whatsoever. There, and um, eventually the player characters get high-powered servants. Uh, also, I guess a, uh, a uh, one of the things in a Monty Hall campaign is artifacts and relics are rather common. So you got people, you know, running around with the sort of cost, the apparatus, the qualsh, and what have you. <laughs> and this 
you know, it's no big deal. And eventually the players get bored because there's, there's no challenge for their, for their uh, characters at all. Pretty much almost everything is kind of handed to them. And that's kind of a, a Monty Hall campaign. On the opposite side of that is the Killer Dungeon campaign, where you have basically what he what Gary says a sadistic DM killing off the player characters, you know, with unavoidable death traps, conveniently placed monster ambushes, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and in most cases, well, players tend to move on they, and to uh, to either to another uh, game, or they might go back to the what they were. They get such a bad taste in their mouth from something like that. They might stop playing D and D altogether. Sometimes bad DMs are drummed out, but uh, for the most part, uh, you know, some of these adventures become infamous, infamous in their own right. Which I found ironic because uh, wasn't Gary Gygax that penned. Tomb of Horrors, which is known as a killer dungeon. <laughs> so I just thought that was kind of ironic, you know? <laughs> but um, so that, kind of to start things off, that's where it goes with those two extremes in DM style. And then Gary talks about where, you know, in the beginning of a campaign where, you know, the item placement is important. It's crucial to the beginning of the campaign and if you want to have certain magic items that are meaningful to to have in the campaign either unique items they should never be randomly placed they should they should be at a certain place in a dungeon or in the adventure wherever it may be they're they're there for a reason and they're there for maybe a particular player character um also, he warns not to duplicate powerful magical items in a campaign. And if, if able, the monsters will use those magic items if possible, mm. um, which is one of the things I do. I mean, they should. They should. I'm, I, I recall one of the things that, uh, yeah. like in, in my Hackmaster campaign, one of the things I remember uh, there was a, like an ogre uh, mage. And he had this magic item. It was an all pike of speed. Mm. Remember the scimitar speed? How like it strikes every beginning of every combat round. You don't even have to roll initiatives. Like it goes first every time. Mm -hmm. The all pike of speed it goes faster than the scimitar because it's so long. <laughs> and I had I had this ogre mage uh, mm -hmm. who was known as Master Pain. Mm. He's Master Pain because he's like he knows martial arts. He's an ogre magi. And uh, yeah, I had this all pike of speed, and it was really cool. And, you know, like rings, maybe they could fit to, you know, like a giant or an ogre's, uh, you know, hand or something like that. So yeah, if, if the monsters are allowed to use the magic items, they don't just have to sit in the treasure chest. <laughs> so <laughs> sometimes they do. That <laughs> was, was kind of silly, though. But yeah, it is kind of silly. Or like typical Gagaxian nature, like where you have you face off against a red dragon what do you find in a, dra in a dragon's horde? Now sword against dragons so <laughs> yeah well I could almost buy that wouldn't the dragon want to take that out of uh, the open wild sure, and sure. he would have yeah, it locked it away in a chest that, in that case it would make sense but I mean you know like if 
magic weapons, for example, if you have a bunch of orcs and then they're treasure hoarders, maybe like a couple of magical daggers or something, of course they're going to use them. <laughs> well, if I could see the orcs not using the daggers that small blade. I want big blade, well, and they use the, the non-magical, uh, like, long sword. You know, maybe the, uh, like, the, the chieftain has a magical dagger or a magical sword. Sure. Right, yeah. The chieftain right, would be the right, one that would actually right. realize and that's how this is a smart DM would do that, you know? So, yeah. But right. just in general, if the monsters are, are, are there and they're able to use the magic items, they should be able to use them. Um, also, he goes on to... Um, yeah. Later levels, or at least on the ongoing campaign where items should be placed, um, he emphasized that magic items should be balanced, I guess, towards the levels of the players and the threats. Generally, the better the magical item, the greater the risk to get it. Well, that that makes sense to me. So, yeah, if you're going to have... Uh, like a Rod of Lordly Might, which is a pretty powerful magic item. I know we've reviewed that one in the past. I think it's one of the better magic items in the in the DMG. Um, yeah, you know what? It's probably going to be used by... That magic item is going to be used by a, uh, a monster or it's going to be guarded by something pretty powerful. So... Cool. So um, you have that. Yeah. And uh, one last section in there about magic item placement where I thought it was interesting. And I, I was really, I was blown away by this when I read it, was fudging the die roll. <laughs> Gary actually said, you're justified as the DM to fudge the roll for, for uh, magic items. If you roll up uh, Orb of Dragon Kind... And it's only being protected by like a group of kobolds. No, no, they don't have, don't do that. <laughs> Bad. You either ignore the role or you pick the item that you want. But that's not the first time you said that in the book. Yeah, yeah. But I think, uh, I just think a lot of people in the old school gaming movement that's been going on is like, oh, I never fudged the die roll, I never fudged my die rolls, never like this. Well, you know what? Gary did it. So there you go. How do you feel about them apples? Yeah. <laughs> but Gary was always like pretty cautious to be like, "Hey, don't fudge all the time." Right, like, right. Anytime I, and, he's like, "Oh, fudge it," right. I, usually in this he's case, like, "Don't don't do this all the time." Right. In this case, when placing magic items, yes, when you're creating the the dungeon or the encounter or whatever, and you're placing magic items. If you're going off the random tables and you roll up the magic item, then if it comes up with something that, you know, doesn't make sense or is too powerful for the party to find it this particular time, it would really throw off the campaign. Sure. Fudge it. Make some, you know, use something else. So yeah, that's in that particular instance i can understand it but yeah you're right you shouldn't have to fudge all the time but i want to read just this last part i think this is very important okay uh, and it's the last paragraph about the ha- second uh, half of the last paragraph um it is only human nature for people to desire betterment 
of their position. In this game, it results in player characters sinking ever more power, wealth, influence, and control. As with most things in life, the striving after is usually better than the getting. To maintain interest and excitement, there should always be some new goal, some meaningful purpose. It must also be kept in mind that what is unearned is usually unappreciated. I think that's worth repeating. <laughs> what is unearned is usually unappreciated. What is gotten cheaply is often held in contempt. It is a great responsibility to dungeon master a campaign. If you do so with intelligence, imagination, ingenuity, and innovation, however, you'll be well rewarded. I I just think those those few sentences speak volumes. Hmm. And I think that's just part of the uh, another positive from this game and also with the old school renaissance is emphasizing is it's not what what you got to earn it. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you got to put up a challenge, a decent a, a a good enough challenge for the player characters to earn those magic items, to earn those rewards, to get the prestige and power. Shouldn't be handed to them on a silver platter. Yeah, I I have a story about this that mm. like pretty much just parallels what Gary wrote. I, uh, with this group, well, one of the groups, the, it's kind of all fractured off now. The first game we played, uh, a couple sessions in, you know, they didn't get any magic items or anything like that. So, uh, I had them go to like an elven forest and mm. to help them on their quest, I gave them, uh, cloaks of the elven kind. Okay. And I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm going to be the nice guy and give them a magic item. They're going to be like, oh, thank you, Crispy. You're so nice. <laughs> And, you know, they took them, and then uh, a little bit, uh, a couple sessions later, they fought a sorcerer, but a cloak of charisma. Yeah, this is a a Pathfinder game. Basically, it's a cloak, makes you more charismatic. And they they ended up killing the guy. And, you know, they're they're taking his stuff, and one of them, the wizard, actually, wanted the cloak of charisma. And I'm like, but I gave you a free cloak. Like, you could go sell this cloak. It's worth less. Mm-hmm. And, nope, she wanted that cloak of charisma just because <laughs> she killed the guy. And now right. it's it's hers. So, She's and, got and that's ditched. interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I'm like, here, have, have a free, you know, awesome cloak. Right. And, right. And then when they get the lesser... Kill the uh, big baddie with the lesser cloak. Like, no, I want that one. I want the one because I kicked his butt. <laughs> and it's like this isn't going to help you. You're you're a wizard. You don't right. you don't really need your charisma to be that high. You can have anything else. But it did matter. She had to have that cloak, didn't she? Yeah. <laughs> that is that's that's a good story to punctuate that the point of you know it, and it and that's. And it's not even such a high magical item for what it sounds like. It No. It's because they earned it. They went through the, the toils and uh, of you know winning that that battle. I mean because it, it, it meant something to them. So it's something just given away. So then so. from that point on I was just no magic items. <laughs> oh no you find uh items. you find gold. And they have mundane <laughs> equipment. 
See, that's why I'm like in, in this current campaign that I'm doing. The placement of magic items, I'm I'm leaving it as it is. I'm not, you know, everything looks really good as far as I can tell in the first first few levels of the of the dungeon. You know, I'm I'm pretty well pleased because right now the players are like they I they have very few magic items right now. I think they have like three or four, and they're like like a plus one dagger. Uh, someone has I think a long sword plus one. They haven't stumbled upon like any wands or anything like that. A few potions, and that's it. So, <laughs> and that's like, and they've been through most of the first level. And they haven't gone down to level two. So they're hungry for it. I, I, and I think that's a good way of saying it. they're hungry for it. They want it. Mm-hmm. They could taste it. It's like, and, the, and I, and like they, I think they appreciate it more when they finally find like, oh my God, it's a long sword plus two. That's great. <laughs> I'd rather be in a campaign than that than be like, oh, another long sword plus two. <laughs> <laughs> Right, it's like the problem you run into, like playing uh, Icewind Dale. You keep running the same magic item over and over and over. I don't need another one, and I already made thirty thousand gold selling my others. I don't need another five thousand gold. That's how I am in Skyrim right now. I have like thirty thousand gold just because I find stuff that's not as good as the stuff I have. Right. Just like sell, sell, sell. See, and that's like I think part of that is kind of spoiled some. Some you know people that that play these games when it came up to the stuff like computer gaming, you got spoiled because a lot of the you know you come you came across all this magic, all this treasure in in a uh, computer role playing game, and when it comes to something you know like pencil and paper, a lot of times you just don't duplicate it. But it, I think it did over time. Some of that did kind of spill over. And I'm trying to be very careful about not having, you know, just, you know, just having the right amount of magic items. So, you know, they they don't feel like they're being cheated, but, you know, enough to where, you know, you know what, they, they've earned it. You know, they've, they, they've, they fought the good fight. They got what they need. So it, it I, in retrospect, it is kind of a hard balancing act. It can mm-hmm. be. So uh, what about you, Vince? How about your, your two two copper pieces, or well, in my case, two electrum pieces. Yeah, <laughs> and your, your, yours is going to be like below the bronze. No, I'm kidding. Um, hey. <laughs> I I like to place magical items where I like to place them, and I like to put them far and few. I don't like a very high powered campaign with magical items. Right. Yeah. I like to give them out when I give them out. The whole group gets them, so it's just not just like, well, why did Crispy just get that? Right. Mm. Right. It's so like when you heard the Book of Sorrows, Chris, when I gave you guys stuff, it was like everybody. Yeah, we all got it. Unless they said no, of course. And then Andy threw his away. Uh. And we had to fight a statue. <laughs> well, I don't know why you threw it away. Man. Pro tip, don't piss off Asmodeus. Yes. <laughs> well, really. <laughs> but yeah, I, I like to spread it out and then give it one big bulk and then let them run around for a while going, ha-ha. Then, you know, make them feel that they need some more items. Yeah. See, I've learned my lesson with the uh, whole cloak of displacement uh, situation I had oh, for yeah. past several years. Boy, have I ever regretted that. But 
No, there was, debate. A big, there was a big, huge debate on the forums over over that comment when you said that, Nick. Oh, there was, huh? Oh, I missed that one. <laughs> Arguing in it too. Oh, I was. That was part of your ten posts. Oh, okay. That must have been a while ago. Yeah. Must have been like the first five. Yeah, probably. Well, um, let's hear out there what you guys think uh, on you know uh, placement of magic items and what you do and in your campaigns or uh, give us some stories about, you know, you know, how you earn that particular magic item in a, in a campaign. So, you know, let us know. And uh, I guess we'll move on from here to uh, sure. where we, <laughs> to where are we going next? That'd be the long trail of goodbye. Oh no. I, I do done? have one thing to say about magic item placement. Go ahead. Mm. All right. So, the thing is with uh, Nick, you brought up earlier the the monster just not using the items, the magic items that they are, they they have, mm-hmm. and that's a common like kind of joking complaint. Oh, it had a it had a plus two shield. Why didn't it use it? Ugh. Right, right, right. And uh, it was actually addressed, I think, in the last Save or Die. You guys had talked about that, did we? I think so. Uh, I just got through oh. like catching up, but when you're it's all well and good to have them use the items that you mm-hmm. know they'll have. Yeah. If you pre-generate your treasure. Yes. But if you're kind of running something off the cuff, it's a little bit harder. Um, well, so, yeah. you know, if you're like, oh, they're going to fight ogres. Ogres have a type 11 or IX or whatever. It's been a while since I've looked at generating treasures. It's A through Z and first edition. A through Z. There we go. So it's got like uh, it's got a type H treasure which is probably like some huge amount and totally wrong i'm sure someone on the internet treasure type h is like the best but i thought yeah i thought that might have been the case anyways it's got you know it's letter Mm -hmm. and you roll that up after it it, you're done beating it and you know you get your your plus two dagger you didn't like the dm you didn't know that it was going to have that Mm -hmm. so i think it's a little bit excusable you know suspension of disbelief yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Could even flavor is oh, this ogre is too stupid to know what it has, depending on how you run ogres. Or you could just say, you know, what? he just got it. I mean, he didn't have time to use it. Yeah, something, uh, I, especially in like you a dungeon you setting. A story about that, you know? Yeah, yeah. Some- especially in like a dungeon setting or or like a wilderness setting where maybe the party is ambushing. Like that ogre didn't know it's it didn't know that it was going to get attacked by adventurers. It didn't know it would need its best dagger with it. You yeah, know, it might have been playing cards with all the other ogres. That's a good point. Yeah. Cool. And uh, what brings this up is actually I've been looking at Swords and Wizardry a lot recently. I'm going to start running it uh, for the Las Vegas Game Day, which is cool. like an organized event. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited to start doing that. But uh, the way you generate treasure in that is you take the experience points of everything that they're going to fight on, like, say, the dungeon level they're at um, or, like, the castle they're storming. Mm-hmm. And you multiply it by 1d3, and then for every 100 gold pieces, they have a chance of getting a gem. It's like a 10% chance. Yeah. Uh, for every 1,000, they have a magic item. Stuff like that. Yeah. So It's really classic rolls. Yeah, it, it's a lot of rolls, because like if you fight, a, if you fight like a 1,000 experience points of something, that becomes 3,000 experience points. And then there's 30 rolls on one table and three on another. Yeah. Oh wow! <laughs> that's, that's the old box, the uh, the the, um, the white box, and everything. Those have a lot of rolls in them. Yeah, which I hmm. think it, 
I think it's a it's a nice way to generate hordes. Like you're not just doing what hordes. Oh. Not not the other thing. <laughs> he is in Vegas. O a r d s. You are in Vegas, so I had to clarify. <laughs> so it's a nice way of like knowing what treasure they might come up with. So that way, like if they get the plus two shield, you can put it somewhere adequate. Or if they get like a a wand or a scroll or something or a spell book, it could be in a treasure chest. But you have to know kind of what you're doing ahead of time for placement. Hmm. That's just my two cents. It's a lot harder to adequately equip your monsters with the magic items if you don't know exactly what right. they're doing. Yeah, if you're doing something just on the fly, then, yeah, it's a little bit more difficult to do. But mm-hmm. then, again, that's where you can, you know, fudge things yep. if you want to. You know, you're more than welcome to do that. Word. I mean, what's what's one plus two sword that the ogre has that it's not gonna have, not supposed to have in the long run? You know. Mm-hmm. All right. staff at gmail dot com. podcast dot com. OSR gaming slash forums dot. Yeah, OSR dot org slash forums. Dot <laughs> org. That's the dot org one we got. <laughs> our organization. Join the revolution. Come up. Post up more than Crispy and Nick put together. Probably. I haven't. I, I just. I can't deal with forums anymore. Aw, oh, poor Crispy. It's okay. Chats are awesome. I'm always on Skype talking to people. So. Yeah. All right. Well, see you next week. Keep it original. Keep it old school. Good night, everybody. Good yeah, night, everyone. Good night. for initiative.